You are listening to Black Reality Think Tank with host Dr. William Rogers on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com.
people use to tell the political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells the people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at Listening to Black Reality Think Tank with host Dr. William Rogers on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Hotep and greetings, my sisters and brothers. Welcome to the Black Reality Think Tank. My name is Dr. William Rogers, and I am your host for the evening. We have a very dynamic program tonight. <clears throat> we have uh, uh, sort of dismissed a lot of the activities that we normally do, and we're going to get right into this discussion uh, because we, we cannot wait to talk to our guest. Our guest tonight is one of the great champions uh, of our people. They are focused and dedicated, and we are happy to have him with us. We have one housekeeping matter I'd like to just mention to those of you who are listening uh, via the telephone and on the line, your phones and your mics are very sensitive and we can pick up the sound in the background. So we ask you to please uh, mute your phones until we are ready to uh, open the lines to talk with you and have you question and make comments as it relates to the subject matter and our very special guests. So please, if you would, uh, mute your phones just temporarily until we begin our conversation. Tonight's format is a call-in format. You'll be able to call us uh, later on in our discussion, and you can do so for those of you who are listening via the Internet at area code 215-490-9832. Please mute your mics. I, I do hear continuous background from the phone. Please mute your mics. Uh, again, the area code is 215-490-9832. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could, please mute your microphones. Uh, I am getting the background noise, and as I said, this is a sensitive system, and it can pick up um, very clearly any distraction, moving of the phone, your legs, your desk, uh, anything that moves can be heard, and it, it has a tendency to to distract, because right now I'm getting that continuously, even though I'm talking. Please ask you to mute the telephone. Thank you very much. Okay. All right, my brothers and sisters. Um, we are here tonight to talk, as I said, with one of the, the great champions of our people, and I'm so happy to, to have him here 
with us and he has agreed uh, to participate in this conversation and with you. Uh, our guest is the great Dr. Howard Fuller. He is a distinguished professor emeritus at Marquette University. He is the former superintendent of the Milwaukee Public Schools from 1991 to 95, and he is the founder and director of the Institute for the Transformation of Learning at Marquette University. With that, good evening, Dr. Puller. Uh, good evening, Brother Rogers. Uh, good. good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, my brother. Yes, indeed. That's okay. Right. I appreciate you so much. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, and I think uh, a lot of our audience are there. There are a couple of key areas that we want to talk about. I want to talk about educating black children, and I want to talk about the the activism uh, that's necessary to carry that out. And then I know there are some other areas. Um, you and I have a common interest, our hometown that we both are, were a part of. I was born and raised there. You worked there for a while, Durham, North Carolina. So we want to talk a little bit about that experience. Um, we didn't want to make it like a family reunion because sometimes it can do that. You get to talking about the good old days and it gets into a family reunion discussion. But tonight I want to talk about educating children because I think uh, where we are and where we are going in this world, uh, that is critical. And I'm sure that you know that too as well. Um, you have been truly a, a relentless crusader uh, and an advocate, uh, you know, in the pursuit of educating black children in America. And, you know, for that, I salute you, Dr. Fuller. Uh, and um, also, and I honor you. So that's point one. And point two of why I've asked you to join us today is I know that you have studied and you have embraced uh, that study. You're a historian, I'm, I'm sure, a sociologist, an educator, uh, and you have embraced the ancestors. And so then from that, you built an institution to support the work that you were going to do. That's my interpretation. That's what I saw in what you were doing. Um, and so it's on that point that I wanted to talk to you tonight, building an institution. As a historian, I have looked at uh, our ancestors who have done that. And when I think about the great Carter G. Woodson, uh, he studied history. He got his Ph.D. from Harvard, did all the, the, the certification stuff he had to do. But then he came back and built an institution to teach that history to our people. And not only just to that academic community, but to that grassroots community. He built the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, created all of the publications and things to do that, and that was important. And so to this day, we still exonerate uh, the work of the great Carter Woodson. And then we can't dare not forget uh, the brilliance of W.B. Du Bois and his attempt uh, to build. He got all the credentials that he needed. He was a sociologist, historian, but then at the same time, he built an institution uh, in an attempt to try to, to fight the causes. So, uh, Dr. Fuller, with that, that's why I wanted you here. I wanted to just kind of open up with that introduction so our audience will know where we are going. So if that is mine, are you ready so we can get into it? Yeah, I'm ready, my brother. Okay, very good. I want to uh, read a quote to you, and then I'd like to ask you if you would, uh, first of all, do you agree with it? And second, uh, you know, how do you envision that in terms of 
the work that you have done. And I, I want our audience to know I haven't, I haven't touched the surface of the work that Dr. Fuller has done. It's so many different things, but these were the three areas that he wanted me to make sure that I let our audience know. So here's the quote, Dr. Fuller. Uh, many of our people are unaware that great minds in the African world have posed valid and comprehensive solutions to our problems. There is remarkable agreement, uh, even in the diversity among our great minds. We are not children who need to ponder over these things under the guidance, supervision, and even leadership of sponsors from other groups. We must not take family matters to alien think tanks. Family planning in the black community must be done at home by the family. That comes from Dr. Asa Hilliard uh, in his book, The Maroon Within Us. So would you comment on that for us, my brother? Yeah, first of all, uh, thank you for having me uh, this evening. And both you know, and I'm sure that the people who are listening to this know that Asa Hilliard was one of the great uh, thinkers, intellectuals, and fighters for our people. Yes. And along with that quote, one of the quotes that I remember most from him was he was talking about the fact that as we look to our continual struggle, that we have to build organizations and institutions in ways that we haven't even thought about yet. Right. And so when I listen to that particular quote, what it really has to do with is the issue of self-determination. It's the, it's, it's the question of if a people are struggling to be free, uh, how important is it that those people define the nature of their freedom? How important it is that they create uh, institutions, organizations, processes, procedures that speak to the reality of their existence? And what's, what's built into this idea that Asa was talking about was that we, A, have to define our existence, and then we have to determine what is the pathway for the realization of the greatest possibility for our existence. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of debate out here, and there will always be, I guess, about what is, what is the pathway to freedom. And what I would argue is that if you go back and look at our history, when black people came out of slavery, one of the realities that we faced was that we were liberated, but we were not free. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what we thought was that the way to freedom was through among a number of different things, but education was going to be a critical factor in trying to pursue freedom. And so... Many people don't know, but we even created schools of a type during slavery. There's research that even talked about that. But coming out of slavery, we wanted to create institutions that could, in fact, uh, educate us to be uh, productive citizens. And so, as you know, there was, you know, later on in time, the debate between the boys and Booker T, Booker T. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of what was, the, what was the best way 
for us to become citizens. And, and, and although, you know, many people focus in on, you know, concerns that they have about Booker T and all of us who've done any kind of work at all, there, there's going to be contradictions in our work, mm-hmm. no matter what it is, as long as we are living in America. And, and, and so Booker T, you know, made the argument that we needed to cast our buckets where we are. He was talking about economic development. He was talking about building uh, institutions. Uh, therefore, we, we have Tuskegee. You know, uh, Du Bois was talking about the need to um, fight for a, a, a democratic ideal, mm-hmm. for the right for us to participate in citizens and not accept any subordinated relationship. But if you study Du Bois, you'll know that at different points in his life, he changed his position on what was the road forward. So that in 1929, he wrote an article called Peckenstein and Peckinsmith, where he made an argument for integrated education. And then in 1934, in uh, the Journal of Negro Education, he wrote an article that, that talked about a need for black people to create black schools. <laughs> so, so, you know, when, 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 you, when you, as you said, when you understand our history, you, you can understand it at different points in time. We, we've had different ideas right. about what was the way to get to freedom. And, 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 and all Asa Hilliard was doing, it's not all, but one of the things that Asa was talking about, I think, in that quote, was that the the building of institutions that we define and that we control needed to be a critical part of trying to advance our struggle. Right. And and, and that's what I think about <clears throat> when I, I look at the, the Institute for the Transformation of Learning. You know, I had the privilege of, uh, of being a part of some of the workshops that you did as we were trying to certify one of the charter uh, choice schools in Milwaukee that was owned by, uh, uh, run by Holy Redeemer Church. And um, we and myself and Mr. Townsville sat in on that. And, and so what you were doing or what I was gathering from those workshops is helping set the pillars of whatever schools that we were going to be operating from uh, and make sure that those pillars were strong, looking at all areas of activity. Uh, in terms of coming to educate, not just the curriculum. I want to talk about curriculum. I really want to talk about that. Uh, not only just curriculum, but the, the activities of the school. Like I remember uh, uh, something that was said by one of the instructors is that you need to create a vision for your school. And that vision needs to be present where everybody sees it. And that if I walk up to the custodian, and ask him, what's the vision of the school? He needs to be able to quote it right off. And so I assume that that's kind of where you are and what you're looking at there. And I, I think about that in particularly uh, because I was involved in it, you know. And um, so let me ask this. Now, I think what you just said opens the door for uh, us to bring in the great Carter Woodson. Uh, Woodson well, a lot of folk had done it prior to Woodson, I think, go all the way back to David Walker, um, you know, George Washington Williams, and all of them had indicted African people to wake up and go out and do what you need to do. And then Woodson 
and the miseducation of the Negro really indicted us. He indicted the black church, you know, black professionals uh, in, in every aspect of the word. How do you see that landmark work? And I, I call it a landmark work uh, in terms of, of some of the ideas that you worked on uh, and what you did and, and basically embracing your statement just now. How did you see the miseducation of the Negro? Yeah, I've, you know, I've read Miseducation of Negro at different points in time in my life, different sections right. of uh, And it's, it's, you know, it's a go-to book for me. But the go-to book for me when you start talking about black education is James Anderson's book, Education of Blacks in the South, right. uh, from 1876 to 1935. Okay. But, 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 but to go back to Carter G. Woodson, um, one of the concerns that I had with the book, although I agree with, you know, various things that Carter Woodson had to say, is that many times what happens in the black community is that we all assume, I shouldn't say we all assume, that many times we act as if we all have to think the same in order to try to advance an agenda for our people. And and, and I, I, I try to understand that I'm not the only one out here who has an idea <laughs> that, you know, my particular idea may or may not uh, be something that other people might buy also have some idea. So, so the question for me becomes, how, how do we as a people use a variety of different ideas and different approaches to try to advance the, the, the cause of our people without condemning each other. Now, I'm not talking about ideas that, in, in, in essence, keep us oppressed, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, people out here trying to, quote, build their brand mm -hmm. on the backs of black people. You know what I mean? I, I'm talking about, if you look at the arguments that Du Bois and Booker T were making, it's, it's instructive to know at the, in the latter part of his life, Du Bois embraced some of the ideas that Booker T was laying out, right? So, right. so if, 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 you, if you look at the composition address, the, you know, the Atlanta uh, speech that Booker T gave, mm -hmm. you know, where, he, where, where he, in essence, seemed to uh, say that we should accept a subordinate position within American life. You know, where he talked about, you, you know, we ought to see this as like uh, the hand that, you know, we, we have this single hand, but we can be separate as the fingers are. And, and he seemed to be in that particular speech. Mm -hmm. uh, try, try, it, it, it's what, what we call accommodationism, right? Right. That that we, that we can, in essence, accommodate ourselves, accommodate ourselves to oppression, and that we'll stay in our place. That's one way to look at what he was talking about. Another way to look at it was, at that moment in history, given the conditions that black, that, that, that black people were, were dealing with, mm -hmm. what was it going to take to build institutions when we didn't have the resources to the do The resources, it? right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, 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 so the, the, the Hampton-Tuskegee idea which when you look at it outside of its historical context, 
you know, you can condemn it. But it, but it, but if you look at it in its historical context, <laughs> what did what what did the application of that idea allow us to do? It allowed us to build institutions because in order to build those institutions, we had to get support from white people. Yeah, we so, did. So if you if, if if you understand like the Rosenwald schools, and you understand like you know what happened with the Missouri Compromise. You know, you know after the, the you know during the post Reconstruction period, if you if you understand some of those dynamics, mm-hmm. then you then you come up with the realization that at different moments in history, different ones of us saw the road forward, not in the same way, but we were trying to push for the road forward. But that's mm-hmm. different than those of us who don't see the world in the same way, not because we're trying to advance a community. It's because we're trying to advance our own individual agenda that, right. that, that is tied into our own individual aggrandizement and not into the development of a people. Of the people, and right. What I'm trying to argue, brother, is that when you mm-hmm. start talking about the development of a people, we have to be able to embrace a number of different possibilities for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And we have to make a distinction between those things where we may differ, but, we're, we're, but, but we are trying to advance our people. But, but clearly there are some ideas that people come up with that move us backward. And, and, and you have a responsibility to, to, to speak to that. But right. even when we speak to it, the, the thing is, how do we differ from an ideological or a political perspective without feeling that we have to, to destroy each other in the process of discussing our differences? Yeah, and we've done that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so, 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 you know, like, as you know, because you're, 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 you are a historian, um, if, if, if you look at history, and, and I say this to, to people all the time, is that history repeats itself, but not under the same historical condition. Mm-hmm. So if, if you look at um, uh, this period, the, the, the period of Trump and Trumpism, it, it's, it's a mistake to say this has never happened before in American history. Right? Because, right. It, because if, you, if you go back and look at the period right after Lincoln was assassinated and Johnson took over, mm-hmm. you can see clear similarities between Johnson and Trump. That's right. Uh, and and, and if, if you take the time, and it, it will take a lot of time to read it, to read Black Reconstruction by Du Bois, yes. which is the most thorough analysis. <laughs> really? And it's over 780 pages, as you know, and I, and I still don't understand how Du Bois got access to all the primary documents that he used in, 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 in writing that book. Yeah. But, but, if, but if you go back and, 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 and read uh, what he talked about during that period and, and, and how Johnson, you know, pushed to uh, uh, give complete am, amnesty, uh-huh. you, you know, to uh, the, the, the Southern aristocracy and the people who had, had been traitors uh-huh. to the United States uh, during the Civil War, and, and, and how he, he, he pushed to deny black people the right to vote. 
And you go back and just look at all of the things that he was talking about, and you fast forward that to where we are now in this country and where we were, you know, during the period of Trump's presidency, there's a lot of similarities. Right. Right. In, in, in terms of the, because all of it was about how do you sustain white supremacy? You know, what, 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 what and, and, and so people like Trump and the people who follow him today, when they talk about issues like critical race theory and all that, this ain't this isn't, this has nothing to do with critical race theory because most of them don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. What what it has to do with is gin enough white people to come out and vote because of the concern that the the data shows that by 2044 white people are no longer going to be a majority in this country, mm-hmm. and 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 so we got to understand the the historical realities in which we live, but we then have to know how does this tie back to previous historical periods. And so as we try to build institutions and we try to figure out what is the road forward, we always got to have that historical context in mind. It's, it's like in Leron Bennett's book, uh, Building of, uh, of uh, um, I think it's Building of Black America. It wasn't before the Mayflower. It was, it was, it was the other one. Right, and he was he he was talking about that black people during slavery found themselves between a rock and a hard place. There was no possibility of of escape and no possibility of victory. So that what mm-hmm. we had to do was build lines of hope and organization. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So so that's how I see all of this, man. Is that it's it, 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 it's it's a constant struggle to define what makes sense at a particular moment in our history to try to advance the interests of our people. I agree. And and even, and I think that's where the critical thinking comes in uh, when we are studying and we are looking at plans and, and what to use. Uh, because I think about uh, one of the, the steps of critical thinking very clearly is to take a time and place analysis of, of things that you right. do. Right. And so even though, you know, they may have similar things, but it's, but in time and place, it may have been different, you know, in some ways. And, yeah, yeah. and like and, you and, said, and, uh-huh, yeah, and, and, and the, tool, the tools that you have to weigh struggle are different. Like, I try to be very careful of, about not being critical of today's generation and yeah, right, in terms right. of, of how they approach struggle, because <laughs> they're approaching struggle based on, what they see and 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 they and 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 you and i 30 years ago 25 years ago didn't have instagram or tiktok or or whatever right as as like tools of struggle and so mm-hmm. how we went about organizing things um was different because of what we had to work with mm-hmm. and 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 so so as history moves forward, the fundamentals of the struggle are the same, but the approaches that we have to use to wage struggle have to necessarily be different. Right. And, I got you. And, 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 and it's important that we respect each other in a, in, in a, in a generational way. Yeah, but it's you. also important that we make sure that we're operating uh, on a base of facts. Not not uh, just 
ideas that that are not grounded in not both grounded. a reality and a that, history. Agreed. Agreed. One hundred. Yeah. I mean, like I was in a, a community meeting the other uh, on Saturday, and these people the people made a presentation and and said that. Um, you know, a particular school was the first charter school in the city of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, what they said wasn't true. And it wasn't that they were trying to not be truthful. It was just they didn't know the history. Mm-hmm. But because I was there and I knew the history, <laughs> you right. know, I, 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 I could correct them, you know, but in a way. But I wasn't mad at them because I understood that what they said they thought was, in fact, true. But in fact, it wasn't. Right. You know. So I got you. You know, you said something uh, earlier a few minutes ago it's, that's critical when, when you talked about Du Bois's <clears throat> um, Black Reconstruction, because you're right; that's a monumental uh, work. Uh, but the one thing that I, I remembered about that, which is what has to still happen today, and um, he spent a lot of time in that uh, writing attacking those critics and the ones who were assessing history, uh, which was the yeah. Dunning School. The Dunning School was, yeah. was assessing that whole thing, and it was almost writing black people out of it. And so he had to come back and attack the Dunning School uh, to get it. And, and that was the brilliance you know, of his work, which is what you were talking about. He went back and did an analytical analysis uh, of that. So I agree 100% that that's the way we, you know, we've got to look at that. Now, I've got to bring in this point. After that, I want to move into a, a, another area of this discussion. Okay, we open now all of this opens the door for the great Marcus Messiah God. Yeah. Um, how do you see his role in that early stage? And what we're looking at is the early stage of the development of education, black life uh, for African people coming out of captivity. So, so Garvey, yeah. what, do you, what do you place Garvey in this history? Well, see, to, to, to me, like, I, I think people know that Garvey actually came to the United States uh, from Jamaica. Right. Uh, but, but that one of the reasons he came to the United States and ultimately began the wave struggle was because of the ideas of Booker T. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so what, 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 when you, when you read, you know, there was the debate between Booker T and Du Bois, and then there was the debate, the, the, the debate between Garvey and Du Bois. And as you know, a lot of that debate got very personal. Right. Uh, you know, and they, they began to talk about each other's physical characteristics and, and, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so if you can set that aside for a moment, right, and, and understand that what, Gar- what Garvey was talking about was, was the need to capture the excellence of a people mm-hmm. and, 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 and understand that even though I, 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 I always have concerns about this, but, but you know, like understanding that, that, that black people, you know, were kings and queens and that, you know, black people had developed civilization, you know, prior to Europeans coming to the continent as a whole. And, and then to begin to talk about the need to, to develop our own economic institutions, mm-hmm. you know, the need to develop our own educational institutions. So, so Garvey, was was very focused on that, you know. You know, like, and, and you see these pictures of the the de- the demonstrations that that Garvey had with people marching, 
yes, uh, yes. you know, women with uh, what, what were essentially like nurses' uniforms. Yeah, black, co- about black girls' nurses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he'd also, Garvey always had these, you know, you see these pictures of him, you know, dressed up in what looks like extravagant gear, uh, which was a, was, was a reflection of the fact that we were at one point in time kings and queens and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, you know, Garvey was also critical to the, the notion of, of, of going back uh, to, to Africa. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and how all of this, the reason why it's important for us to know this is that, and, and we have to make these distinctions because <laughs> when when Lincoln Lincoln's whole view was that black people should not stay in the United States after the Civil War, Lincoln <laughs> only reluctantly agreed that black people should become soldiers. Uh, and, and, and if he had not done that, the North would not have won the Civil War. But, but as, as Du Bois laid out clearly in his book, that w- w- once the, 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 the Civil War was over, Lincoln was a supporter of the colonization uh, effort, which was to send us back to Africa. That's correct. That's correct. But, 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 but Garvey also supported the notion of black people returning to Africa, and mm-hmm. and, I, and I assume you know most of your listeners know that 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 Liberia was the was the the, the choice of <laughs> sending black people back. So when you start looking at tracing the lineage of people in Liberia, mm-hmm. it was you know uh, ex slaves coming out of America. But even, I, I mean, I don't want to ramble on this, but, but, but the thing about Garvey is that Garvey was critical to, at, a, a, in that period of time, to the development of a black consciousness. So that if, if, if you go back to the time when, after, the, after Meredith was shot, and there was the march that civil rights leaders and Kwame Ture picked up, Mm-hmm. And then as they were moving from town to town, and then Willie Ricks coined the term black power that, 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 that Stokely or Kwame Ture picked up, you can trace that black power notion back to Garvey. And then it could be traced back to Delaney. You know what I mean? Okay. It's, it's, right. it's, 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 it's like understanding from the moment that we were ripped off of the African continent and brought to this country, there was always the group of us who were saying, we need to go back. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was, right, exactly. And, and, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and if you understand our history, you know that. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and then, it, so at different moments in time, the, 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 the idea of going back mm-hmm. was, was critical, but then with with, with again, and this shows. I'm gonna go to Du Bois for a minute and, and, and begin to talk about the Pan African Congresses, mm-hmm. because, as you know, the Sixth Pan African Congress, which was the first one, was held on the African continent. You know, I was a part of. Baraka was a part. I mean, it, it was it, it was organized. Right. <laughs> right. And people in the United States, and it was the first one to take place on the African continent. But Du Bois started 
those African Congresses, and they were all held outside of Africa until the one that we did in 1974. Yeah. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is that you can trace the, the whole notion of Pan-Africanism in some sense back to what Garvey was talking about, right? So, 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 yeah. so, the, so, so the boys does, you know, is the one who organized the, six, the, the, the Pan-African Congresses. But I can make an argument that that train of thought could be traced yeah. back to Garvey. Yeah, that's so, true. You know, and then, you know, really, and, and, and you know, when we really get to look back, you know, there were a lot of other, it goes right into uh, Dr. Hilliard's quote about, you know, they, these blueprints have been tried before, you know, Paul Cuffey and, and his group, you know, Paul Cuffey yeah. and those yeah, brothers Cuffey, out yeah. of Boston, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of, the, one of my heroes out of that, out of that Boston thing was um, Prince Hall. Yeah. You know, Prince Hall... Uh, wanted to start a black school for black children. And he wanted to start it uh, and get together in an organization. He ended up started in his house. And as I read some more of the, the history of, of uh, Prince Hall, uh, he interacted with Paul Cuffey. And I, I was, and, and I think, like you said, that was a, it was a argument or a discussion on the advantage of going back to Africa versus doing something else or staying right here and fight. Right. And that, that really got into the, the argument of that. Let me yeah. ask you this, and I, I, I think this was lead us into uh, talking a little bit about Durham. Um, one of the things that was undergirding uh, all of this, that you know, uh, struggle that we were going through with African American, it was another uh, socialization issue. Um, is the question of who who are black people, who are African people, who are they? Uh, and you know we, uh, you know, I guess in some cases they called it the Negro question. You know, right. who is the Negro? What does he do? Where does he come from? And you know, tons of stuff was written. Uh, you know, um, post, uh, uh, ante, I mean pre antebellum about the the nature of Africans. Are they a part of the apes? Um, the light skin, the dark skin, uh, crossbreeding them, you know, and, and all that tons of material. It's just too much to talk about here tonight. Um, but I think don't we have to begin to consider that as we look at the validity of these institutions? Because I remember an article that I read where Garvey had gone to New York to meet W.B. Du Bois, and he went to the office and he was sitting there waiting for him to come out. And he said he saw all of these light-skinned people. And he said, where are the dark-skinned folks in here? And it, it went into a, a thought of that, and he considered that, that mulatto issue, that mulatto question, that uh, dark-skinned, light-skinned stuff, and how all of that was playing into the psyche of African liberation. How do you see that? How did you see? How do you agree to that? And like I said, that'll lead us into, yeah. <laughs> into looking yeah. at the home. <laughs> yeah, but see, I, I see those kind of discussions, man, as, okay. as potentially not only divisive, okay, but but also it, 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 it'll have us off talking about stuff that fundamentally is not going to move us forward, right? I mean, right, right. It, 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 you, you know, you, 
we've all experienced, there has been an experience in this country mm-hmm. of, and, and Malcolm talked about it. I mean, I was just listening to a speech last night by Malcolm where he was talking about this notion that the, the, the worst thing that white people did was to teach us to hate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, 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 and that was reflected in the fact that you had black people buying bleaching cream so that they could try to make themselves lighter, right? And it, and it all got into, you, you know, if you white, you all right. If you brown, stick around. Yep, yep. If, if you black, stay back. You know, all of these different things, right? And, 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 and what, I, what I believe is that, that we, we have to focus on what, what do we need to be doing to help our people? And th- those arguments about uh, how much white blood you got in you, I don't, I don't, those arguments to me are not relevant to okay. the, what, what it is that we need to be doing. And, and that's what I meant when I said that Garvey and Du Bois got into this discussion, you know, where Du Bois referred to him like, I don't know, it was like a gorilla or something. Yep, and, yeah, he did. Yeah, and and, and 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 then you know Garvey was coming back at him, you know, on the mulatto thing, and and, I, and I'm saying the, the fact of the matter is that whether you light skinned black person, dark skinned black person, you're black, and 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 and, and what's going to happen? To you? This is what what Malcolm said. We're we're not oppressed because we light skinned or brown. <laughs> we we're oppressed because we're black, right? So we're, black. we're not oppressed yeah. or because we're Methodists, mm-hmm. you know, we're oppressed because we're black. Right. And, and so what I'm saying is I always try to struggle to keep in mind what, what are we trying to do here? And, and what is it that brings us together as opposed to what is it that brings us right. apart? It is true that there's a part of our history where, you know, and, and New Orleans was a place where this was, you know, obviously, like manifest itself in certain ways, where, where that issue of skin color, yes, what was was like a major part of the discourse. And as you know, brother, for a good part of our of our history, that 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 kind of divisive stuff kept us from moving forward as a people. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't personally, I tend to try to stay away from all that kind of stuff because. I'm trying to focus on what contributions can people make, can make right, exactly. that will help our people move forward, right? Like and, and, and and so that's how I, you know, that's that's how I try to look at that stuff because like because you have some very dark skinned people who have promoted stuff that would destroy black people's lives, right? Yes. So so I don't. I just think we need to be careful about all of that and, and mm-hmm. make sure that the real thing is the real thing. Yeah. And, and that we stay focused on that as a people. Yeah. And I like that. And, and, but I, I, I needed to bring it in to our discussion because I know that that, that has undergirded a lot of things that we are yeah. we're doing and what we had. Okay. Yeah. Um, e. Franklin Frazier yeah. wrote a book called The Black Bourgeois. Yes. And in that book, <laughs> he said that Durham was the capital. Yes, it was, the Durham was the Atlanta mm-hmm. at one point in time. Durham, as you know, <laughs> was 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 the center of uh, of black economics. Right? Yes, or, or you know, with with, with uh, uh, North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance 
mutual savings and loan, mechanics and farmers bank. Mechanics and farmers, yeah. 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 So at one point in time, Durham was viewed for black people as Atlanta may be viewed today. Right, right now, today, yes. Mm-hmm. So when you, you, you went in and uh, uh, I, in 63, is that? 65. 65. So what did you find? Because you were coming in as a young man. You were coming in as a, a fighter. You had some wonderful ideas. You were getting ready to put some of your education uh, to work and, and turn it into an institution. What did you find when you came? What are some of the first things that strike your mind? Yeah. Well, well, as you know, brother, the reason why I went to Durham was that um, <laughs> I got hired to work in the, the community action program. Right. Uh, Operation Breakthrough which was similar to the Social Development Commission. Like it was because these community action programs were were created all around the country Uh as a part of the Great Society or the Economic Opportunity Act. So when I went to Durham in 1965, like I went down there, man, thinking that people actually wanted to end poverty. I mean, I I, I went down there saying, hey, I'm a part of the war on poverty. I want to end poverty. I want to... You know, I really want to figure out a way mm-hmm. so that people uh, are not poor, that, that we actually end poverty. That's how naive I was in terms of what this was all about. Mm-hmm. So when, 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 I, when I got into Durham, one of the reasons I got hired, actually, brother, was uh, I got hired to work in Haiti initially. Right. And, and then ultimately, because of the organizing work that I did, they put me in charge of all three target areas in Durham, Haiti, uh, East End, which was poor mm-hmm. white, and then out in the county. And so it was target area A, B, and C. But I was initially hired to uh, head up the, the, the work in target area A, which was Haiti, which was, as you know, <laughs> the, the black community uh, in Durham. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but the reason why I was hired is that when they interviewed me, one of the key reasons was I wasn't just interviewed by Bob Faust, who was the white man who was in charge of Operation Breakthrough. Okay. I had to go through John Wheeler and Floyd McKissick. Okay. Um, <laughs> people don't know that. <laughs> but, but okay. I know exactly where you're going. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so they sent me over there to talk to Mr. Wheeler uh, at the Tennessee Farmers Bank and then to Floyd McKissick who uh, was an attorney uh, at that time. And people know Floyd or should know that he wrote Three-Fifths of a Man, which was this analysis of the Constitution. And he ultimately also founded Soul City. And for one period of time, Floyd was in charge of court before Roy entered. Right. Um, and, 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 and Floyd went, went to his grave mad because uh, people always, talked about the Greensboro sit-in as the first sit-in, and, and, and Floyd wanted it to be known that it was the, the royal ice cream counter uh, sit-in in Durham right, that right. took place prior to the Greensboro sit-in, but right. I, I digress. So, so, so yeah, so, so when I went in, I, I, I went down there, and I, I, had, I had read the Office of Economic, I had read the act itself. And there were some words in there that said that we're supposed to do this with the feasible involvement of the poor. And what I thought that meant was that poor people should get some of this money and that my job was to organize people so they could fight for themselves. Right? You know how people tell you, 
you know, don't give people fish, teach them how to fish. My theory is you do both. You give people fish because they're hungry, and then you help them fish so they won't continue to be hungry. Right. And so I felt like when I got down there, one of my jobs was to make sure that poor people got some of that money. So I, I took the budget and moved it around so that I could hire people who lived in the neighborhood, right? Because I feel like people always tell you, you you can't end poverty by throwing money at it. Well, actually, that is how you end poverty. <laughs> you, 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 you give people money. money. <laughs> yeah, and, and, there's, and there's real research out there that shows that programs that actually give people cash, they have a they have a, a, a longer term impact on the elimination of poverty, which is is obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what happens a lot of times, as you know, is that those of us with degrees and stuff, when these programs are created, we get all these jobs, and our job is to counsel black people who are mm-hmm. poor. People don't need counseling. I mean, it's not that they don't need, but they need money. They need resources. They. Need, you know, they need housing, they need clothing, they need jobs that pay them. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, right, you know what I'm saying? So so I, I went in there, as you know, and, and, and got a reputation as being this, you know, quote, militant organizer, because I was organizing people to go down and demand that streets be paved, that houses be fixed. Um, you, you know, I organized the first rent strike, you know, where people refused to pay their rent until their houses were fixed. And I also fought to get people like Greenberg, who was the biggest slumlord in Durham. He was on the board of the poverty program. Oh, and so my theory was that if you fight a war on poverty, how are you going to have the enemy planning the war? You know, you, you know, you get them off the board, and you need to put uh, black people from the neighborhood uh, onto these boards. I mean, there's this movie that uh, Henson, you know, the woman from Empire, uh, she, yes. she, there was a movie called um, The Best of Enemies, which is really about Anne Atwater, who yeah, had right. developed this relationship with, with um, Ellis, uh, mm-hmm. who was the head of the Klan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and so uh, Davidson wrote a book called The Best of Enemies, and a movie was made out. It came out like a couple of years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm the one who trained Ann Atwater as an organizer, right? Okay. <laughs> you know, I knocked on Ann's door because I was going door to door, and you know, and I knocked on her door, and I was some, you know, I was someone like, "What? What are your problems?" She was saying, "Look around you. Look at this raggedy ass house. You know, like mm-hmm. it's clear what my problem." I remember that. I remember. Yeah. I remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so, so when I went to Durham, I was trying to figure out how do I use this position. To, to try to, to better the lives of the of, of, of the people who are, you know are poor you know who are living you know with their backs against the wall I mean, right exactly you know what I'm saying Doc I mean it's like I I organized a, a mother's club in 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 McDougal Terrace okay. and George Starks was the president and they tried to evict her. And, and so we had a struggle that ultimately went to the Supreme Court of the United States and hmm. it changed the rules on being able to evict people out of a, out of a public housing project without mm-hmm. giving them a reason. Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
so that was the work I was doing. And, and then ultimately, as you know, it led to, you know, the creation of Malcolm X Liberation University. Right, yeah, and I'm going to ask you about that. You know, it's, 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 it's always difficult, these, these discussions. I only got two hours. There's so much stuff I want yeah. to ask you, but I know we don't, we don't have time, and I do want to give our audience a chance to, <laughs> to ask you some questions as well. But, uh, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to make this a family reunion kind of thing. Um, but I know that you and I have a mutual friend. Um, he was a good buddy of yours, and he was actually my mentor, and that's uh, Dr. Ben Ruffin. And, yeah, uh, Ben. Yeah. Ben was, lived two doors down the street from me, and Ben was probably one of the most innovative young men. He was a little older than I was, but he was strictly so innovative. Man, yeah. uh, he, used to, he used to deliver the Durham Sun. Uh, he, had a, he built he built his own shoe shine box and would go yep. around on Saturday shining shoes for people going to church and stuff like that. So Ben, I learned a lot. Now Ben was involved. Was it Ben at that time working for the governor or was that after? No, no. What happened was I gave Ben his first job out of college okay. um, because he, he went to NCC. Uh, and so one of the things I did was I recruited uh Black, you know, black college graduates and black college students, and train them as organizers. Mm-hmm. And, and so, when 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 Ben graduated from NCC, uh, I had him come work for me. And then ultimately, Ben became the director of it was uh, UOBCI, a uh, UOCI, United Organizations for Community Improvement. Mm-hmm. which was where we had organized all these individual neighborhood organizations. And then UOCI became the the overarching organization that brought all of the neighborhood organizations together. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, Ben became the first director of UOCI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then ultimately, you know, went, went from there to what you're talking about, where he began, where he worked for the governor. Mm-hmm. And then, as you know, Ben was the first black person to chair the um, uh, the uh, uh, state system of higher education. You know, he was he was also like working for um, the Reynolds Babcock Foundation. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. So yeah, I knew he was uh, with Reynolds for uh, toward the end of his uh, his work. Yeah. Yeah, right, man. that was it. It was the Reynolds Babcock Foundation, right. but it was R.J. Reynolds was the creator of that. Um, yeah, and, and and so Ben, as you know, you know, did phenomenal things, and uh, you know, to have him, you know, die like he did, you know, because you know Ben was always in shape, and you know yeah. he had come in from a run, and he had some type of aneurysm, um, and, yeah. and passed. So Ben Ben was a part of all of this work. In fact, there's a photograph of me and Ben on a truck because one of the first things I did trying to get people organized was I had a cleanup project right. where, we, where we got trucks from the city and, and, and we, you know, just moved. Out of that day, we moved like truckloads and truckloads of junk you know, away from people's houses and all of that. Mm, and, mm. and my theory of doing that wasn't like I, I'm trying to clean. It was like we're trying to make the neighborhood better. But it was like my, my theory of organizing is that you have to 
you have to win victories. You have to right. do you have to do something that shows the value of coming together. You can't right. just theorize, well, we need to come together. At some point your coming together has to have a result. And it, it, it and, and so for me, the first thing I wanted to do was to show if we came together we can do this. But if we can do this, then we can come together on a rent strike. If we do right. this, we 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 can we can come together on the economic boycott. If we, you know, you know what I'm saying. So that was like my theory of organizing. Exactly, exactly. You, um, <clears throat> I, I I just want to mention because what we're going to do in a few minutes is take a break, uh, and uh, come back and open up for our uh, audience to ask questions or comments, and uh, then toward the end, I want to talk about us. Solution idea. I know that you implemented uh, in Milwaukee. I remember that, and I want to kind of talk about the reality of that even now, based on time and place. Uh, but I've got to ask this, you know, about Durham, and I, I have to move. Unfortunately, I got to move away from Durham and go to something else because of the time. But however, what about the Duke machine? <laughs> how, how were you? Were you able? Did, did they complement the work you were doing? Was it? paternalistic kind of thing. I know that, you know, it is the, the most powerful force, obviously, in Durham in terms of politics and economics. Uh, how did you work? Did you work well with the Duke machine? Whatever that was. I know it was. Oh, yeah, so I, I hate Duke to this day, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the basketball and stuff, but I, I don't want to go there. But, okay, so in order to talk about Duke, you have to talk about Oliver Harvey. Okay. You, 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 we have to, people need to know about Mr. Harvey. <laughs> Mr. Harvey was this, he was about five, six, right? And he was a janitor at Duke. Mm. And back in the 40s, Mr. Harvey was standing up demanding that the maids and janitors at Duke have a union. You got, can you, you, you got to imagine mm-hmm. what it took for a janitor, and, and his wife, uh, Miss Har- Miss and Mrs. Harvey both worked at Duke. She was a janitor, and she was a maid. So, hmm. so I learned so much from Mr. and Mrs. Harvey. I, you know, from Mr. Harvey, I just learned courage, man. And, and 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 you know how those of us who have a formal education, right. Uh, sometimes get confused about intelligence and formal schooling because <laughs> right. they're not the same thing. Some of the, some of the most unintelligent people I know have PhDs. So it, 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 <laughs> that's what that's what so, that's what uh, Carter said. <laughs> yeah. So it, what I learned from Mr. Harvey and Mrs. Harvey was. How, how how to have courage, how to be convicted, and how to organize. Hmm. So Mr. and Mrs. Harvey and, 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 and these courageous maids and janitors who, the fact that they even said anything, put their livelihoods at risk. Right. Both from a physical standpoint as well as an economic standpoint. Because as you know, the, the 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 head of the clan, C. T. Ellis, he was like a pipe fitter at Duke. He was a part of the of the right. the, the union 
at, at or the or, or the organization of white men mostly at Duke. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 so so going all the way back to the forties, Mr. and Mrs. Harvey have been fighting for this. Then what happened is Martin Luther King was assassinated, and and they had the vigil at Duke, and mm. and and the, the vigil by students was a part of the struggle and, and also the, the the takeover at Duke that that led to the formation of Malcolm X. But but the vigil was critical to ultimately uh, Mr. and Mrs. Harvey getting a union started at Duke. Uh, the American Federation of um, AF ASME, which actually got started in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. but the 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 first union on Duke's campus for maids and janitors was ASME, um, and, and and the vigil was a critical part of that, and 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 after we formed Malcolm X University, University and we moved. Uh, MXLU uh, to Greensboro. Once MXLU closed, I came back to Durham and I became the business agent for Local 77 of Ashley. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and 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 we made we we actually tried to organize the hospital in addition to the campus. So so when you talk about like what my <laughs> relationship was. Yeah, with the with the Duke power, it was it was the the the, the first of all it was the fight for Afro American Studies program because when the students took over the Allen Building, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that takeover was a part of the battle that led to the creation of an Afro American Studies program at Duke. Right, and that I was, was the, that Jamal that. Bryant was involved in that. Is that the one with the, Jamal? Was that uh, was. Uh, Chuck Hopkins was the initial president of the Afro-American Studies Program. Right. People like Bertie Howard, Charles Beckton. Uh, there's there's an actual, um, there's a video that's at the Smithsonian of the formation of Malcolm X Liberation University. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually have it. I can send, you, send it to you. But, Please you know, because, I would love to see that. Please. Yeah, because what happened was, because of the struggle around trying to get an Afro-American studies program, and after the, the takeover of the Allen building and the tear gassing of the building and all of that, black students got together and we decided to create Malcolm X Liberation University hmm. because we wanted to have an independent black university. And the, the, what was supposed to happen is the students were supposed to leave Duke and come to Malcolm X. Come that, to Malcolm that, Malcolm that, X. <laughs> uh, but we did create Malcolm X Liberation University, and people came to Malcolm X, like the people who took over Willis Strait Hall at Cornell University. Right. Uh, you, you, you know, like, if you go back and look at any collage of photographs from that period of history, there's this these, these students walking out of Willis Strait Hall at Cornell with guns, with rifles. Uh, Eric had a bandel, you know, a, a one of these... Uh, you know, with these bullets mm-hmm. uh, in a in a cross on his chest. Ed Whitfield had a rifle. Those people who got kicked out of Cornell University came yeah, to Malcolm X University. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. So did people like Hubert Canfield who got kicked out of Oshkosh. Okay. Uh, and 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 students who had led a struggle in Little Rock 
at a high school. So when we created Malcolm X Liberation University, uh, it came out of the struggle at Duke University. And so this this uh, film that I'm going to send you uh, it shows the first day of the formation of Malcolm X Liberation University. And there's a speech by Betty Shabazz, because we got Betty Shabazz to come to the opening of Malcolm X Liberation University. Oh, man. Oh, boy. And, okay. Yeah. So I, I know I'm, I'm talking about a lot of stuff. All yeah, that's it. I know it's a lot to talk about. But, but, <laughs> but it's all sort of connected. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, and it's a history that is not necessarily well known. Right. Know, about, and it needs to be known. It's, that's the kind of thing we need. What, what year was that that the university started? Uh, 1969. Okay, right, yeah. And see, I yeah. had left Durham then. I was in New York. Uh, but right, okay, but I do remember some of that going on. And let yep. me, and, and just for sake, who who developed the curriculum? Who taught the classes? Uh, yeah, well, we developed the curriculum, and, and, and we had people uh, who left universities to come teach at Malcolm X. Oh, man, really? There was, a, there was a brother named Leon Moore. Leon passed, I don't know, it's been quite a number of years ago. Okay. Leon was uh, a historian who, who, who had focused on ancient uh, uh, black civilization. Hmm. And he also founded the Chad School <laughs> in Newark. And he okay. used to come down every weekend and teach on Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, uh, African civilization. Um, that is awesome. And the, yeah, and some of the people who left Cornell, like Ed Whitfield, became teachers. A brother who left Duke became a teacher. There were some sisters who left. Uh, I forgot what college they left and came down and teach. So it was, it was interesting. The people that that left yeah. some of the institutions and came down to become a part. That's oh, amazing. Uh, well, well, listen, I'm going to stop and take this break because there's just so much other stuff I can't ask you. You know I wanted to ask you about Lewis Austin, but I, I know. Oh, yeah, this. Mr. Austin. Oh, man, Mr. Austin. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. Brighter, and I, you know, we, but anyway, let me take a break, and uh, I'll, we'll come right back, get you a cup of tea, fill it up. Uh, this is awesome discussion, Dr. Fuller. I really appreciate this. With, with oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, let's do that, and we'll come right back and open up the mic, let the audience uh, ask you questions, say a few things, and then we'll come back. I want to come back to more of this discussion. Thank you. Finley Medical Club. 
We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 414-988-3079. You are listening to Black Reality Think Tank with host Dr. William Rogers on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. We are back, sisters and brothers, and we are talking with uh, Dr. Howard Fuller, former superintendent of public schools for Milwaukee and the distinguished professor emeritus at Marquette University, as well as the founder and organizer of the Institute for the Transformation of Learning at Marquette as well. And we are being informed tonight of the history and background to a lot of the educational initiatives and ideas that we see, and just a, a plethora of ideas and thoughts, and it's a wonderful opportunity for us to Use that in terms of our own agendas and what we're going to do ourselves as as folk and and build these institutions to teach our children. So with that, I'm going to uh, open up our lines just briefly. I'm not, unfortunately, going to be able to take everybody. Uh, I'm going to go in the order of the of logging on the system. Uh, so if you logged in early and went off, it means you, you missed the chat. You're at the bottom. Uh, and because we have some callers on here now. So let me go to... Two four three zero six six eight four one four. Caller, would you like to ask a question or say something? Or are you just listening? Four one four two four three. Okay, all right, just listening. Um, next caller, uh, Grand Rapids, Texas, Bob Lawrence. Listening, or you want a, a question or comment? Bob Lawrence, just listening. Fantastic. Brother Herbie White, 8502. How you doing, Brother Herbie? Uh, good evening, Dr. Rogers, and good evening to your esteemed guests. After sitting here listening to your guests speak, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't have anything to say. I just want to listen some more. <laughs> okay. That's, 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 that's not, I don't know, because you always provide us with additional wisdom. From what's being said. So, but yeah, okay, I understand. Okay, Brother Herbie, thank you so much. I appreciate you, you know. Uh, thank you. So, uh, Brother Pugh, how you doing tonight, Brother Pugh? Yes, uh, Dr. Rogers. Actually, uh, I'm in the in the same spirit as uh, Herbie White, but what I'll do is, is I'll, I'll put it in the form of a question. Uh, Dr. Fuller, uh, you know, I, I was looking at, uh, you know, your work, uh, excuse me. Hello. Well, I just think there's somebody with their mics not needed. Okay, okay. go ahead. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I was, I was, I was looking at your work at the Pan African Conference, where you know you talked about, you know, uh, the fact that you thought the emphasis there was uh, uh, too much on on nation states and too little on on the people themselves, and I thought that was uh, pretty insightful, uh, especially back in uh, in '74. But but one of the things that that I'm that I'm interested in is just to get the benefit of your wisdom. Uh, for example, to, so to put it in, in the context that I like to put it in, 
we've got, you know, the war in Ukraine that may may be a potential World War Three. We got, you know, this billionaire Elon Musk and what he's doing with Trump. We got DeSantis, you know, basically using his political muscle, you know, uh, to, you know, basically, um, uh, uh, you know, outdo uh, economics. And then finally, you have the situation in Milwaukee where you have a virtual. Um, uh, nearly an all-black political everything, and I'm just wondering, you know, if you could just talk about, you know, big stuff. What's your what's your vision of what's going on in Milwaukee and the country and the world, and what you know? Just if you can, you know, take a minute or two and, and just <laughs> give me the benefit of your your big picture. <laughs> you know, brother, to be honest with you, man, I live in a world that I I don't understand, man. I I I, I I'm trying to negotiate this new world order, to be honest with you. But the one thing I I can say about one of the things you mentioned is that William Jewish Wilson wrote a book called The Declining Significance of Race. And he got pillared by the nationalists uh, for the title of the book. But many people never actually read the book. They just read the title. But if, but, but if you got into the book, he wasn't saying that race was not going to be important. What he was saying was that uh, a, black, a black person's class status was going to be a much larger determiner of their life chances than their race. But he went on further to say that black people were going to become mayors at a point in time when there was no economic base from which to develop their city. And so what happens is when you become a mayor and there's no economic base, then black people become cynical Mm -hmm. about having a black mayor because their lives really doesn't change. You know, for the people who already didn't have nothing, they don't all of a sudden get something because a black person is now in charge. And and what that is, is that's a way of trying to make us understand that putting black faces in what used to be high white places don't guarantee advancement of the people. And one of the things I learned when I was the superintendent was that I was in charge, but I wasn't in control of Jack. And, 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 and so, you know, like you, you, you have to come to grips with the limitations of what you can do. But oh, what and, you and, do and that's right. It, it, what what you do is if you don't go in there to be a career, what you do is you push the limits of what you can get done. And the only mm. way you can push the limits is you have to be prepared not to be there. Be, 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 mm-hmm. Because because if, if, you, if you don't do that, it's almost like I explain to people, you always have to come into struggle with a revolutionary view. Even if you can't get revolutionary action, you have to have a revolutionary perspective. Because if you don't have a revolutionary perspective, you're not even going to get radical reform. You know, <laughs> right. You're going gonna to start at a, at, a, at a lower base of struggle. I don't know if this makes sense. So you have to go in there thinking, I'm going to change everything, even though you ain't going to be able to change everything. But, but yeah. And so you ultimately have to pick one or two things that you can focus on and then relentless go at, re- relentlessly go at it with the understanding that even by trying to move two or three things for our people, 
you're ultimately going to get rolled out of there because you're going to have to do things that are, are, are not consistent with the way that the structure was set up because the structure was never set up for us. And so, 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 so when you, but when you painted that larger picture of the, of the world, what, what I would say to you, brother, is at, at what point in history have we as a people not faced a world where there's all kinds of stuff going on in the world writ large that has net negligible impact on our advancement. So, so let me let me let me try to make that more clear. Like when people said that the pandemic shined a light on what was happening in our community, my question was, where where y'all been? I, the 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 light. What do you mean it shined a light? Everybody already knew all of this, right? And, and, and so then people are, oh, we're going to have this inflection moment. What inflection moment have we had, brother? Mm-hmm. In, in, in July of 1981, Ernest Lacey, a young black man, was killed by the Milwaukee Police Department with Eliopo, a cop, putting his knee on Ernie Lacey's mm-hmm. neck in the same way that George Floyd was killed. The exact same way. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there saying, wait, 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 what are y'all talking mm-hmm. about? I've mm-hmm. seen this before. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference is there were no videos. There were no cameras. There were no, we actually got this for you to see. It. Because back then, what there were were witnesses who were discounted by the police. So that's what I meant about history repeating itself, yes, but yes. under different historical conditions. And well, so well but doctor, 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 brother James, I'm sorry. I got to move over. I got a lot of people okay. on the board. All I right. want to get to them. And we almost got like 30 minutes left. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, I'm sorry, brother. Like me. I got a lot of them. <laughs> on. There's a lot more I want to talk about. <laughs> Just got enough time. I apologize, okay. man. I'm sorry. Uh, that's all right. That's good, though. Uh, next caller, Durham, North Carolina, 919-956. Uh, questions or comments, caller? 919-956. Hotep, okay. hotep, brother, 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 uh, Dr. Rogers and Dr. Fuller. Dr. Bridges here. How you doing, Howard? Hey, I'm doing good, brother. How you doing, man? It's nice to hear you. All right, you know who you're talking How to, you doing, don't brother you? Bruce? How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I won't take up much time because I told a whole lot of people in Durham, some people that used to work for the Foundation for Community Development and UOCI to call in. You got some of those callers on, and they had never heard the program before, but I said, Howard Fuller is going to be on tonight talking about okay. Durham. So they're there. But, but Howard, really in Georgia, and I just want to say to those who are tuned in and to Howard, I think I probably said to him before, but the reason there is a Bruce Bridges, and I did some things that I was trying to do and uh, tried to uh, some some uh, some things I tried to do for the upliftment of our people in Durham, North Carolina, mm-hmm. was because of Howard Fuller. Had I not come under his uh, 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 wing and tutorship back when, and he doesn't remember, 
but I was 15 years old when he was the head of, I mean, he wasn't head, but he worked at Operation Breakthrough, and I came into his office one day, and how I'm about to tell you something that you don't even remember. I came into the office looking for a job, and you were asking me some questions about what grade I was in and what I was doing, and I was dilly-dallying around the bush because I hadn't done too well at, at the, the white school car junior high school and was about to repeat some classes and repeat old grade because of the movement and trying to be active and not caring about that Eurocentric education I was getting. And so you asked me, you said, well, what grade are you in? I didn't know how old you are before I get a job, what grade are you in? And then you hit your hand on the desk and stood up and said, I, what damn grade are you going to be in next year? That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> and it stopped me right there. And Howard doesn't even remember. I can see him right now behind the desk at Operation Breakthrough. But that's what happened. And so from that point on, I, re- I started but going I to the book- meet. I remember the book. Mm-hmm. I remember the book. Yeah, you were in the bookstore. But I'm saying I'm going way back to when I used to come yeah, to the, the uh, solidarity. Mm-hmm. Early every Sunday night, I would go to the solidarity meetings, and I have a tape of Bill Bell introducing me to recite one of those poems that I used to write back in the day. Yeah. A lot of times, yeah. you'd be on the road, and Ben would be handling things locally, and you didn't know. Sometimes you wouldn't even always be there at the Sunday night different church meetings that we had, right? Because okay. you were traveling yeah. a lot, you know. It's, it's good to hear your so, voice, brother. All right, Doctor Bridges, okay, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get somebody else, man. Peace. Yeah, right, because you got some dumb callers on here, so you uh, definitely want to. I know. I, I, tell them, I told them about the Black Reality Think Tank. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Brother Howard, uh, Dr. Bridges has been a, a wonderful supporter of, of what we're doing here, and he's been on several times himself, you know, and I met him, too, out of the bookstore because uh, that was an institution as well, <laughs> you know, so uh, I really appreciate that. As a matter of fact, I think it was Dr. Bridges that told me that you had been to Durham. I didn't know you had been to Durham until I think he told me one day. He asked me, he said, you know Howard Fuller? I said, yeah. He said, you know, he was here in Durham. I said, no, what? Doing what? And then he went on to explain to me <laughs> what that was. Okay, let's go, Durham, 919 919-220. 919-220, are you just listening? Got a comment? Just enjoying the show. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you calling and listening. Thank you very much. Uh, Washington, right. D.C., 301-860. Washington, D.C., 301-860. Uh, yes, uh, that's, that's me. Um, I'm just enjoying the show also. Very interesting history of Durham. I always like visiting uh, Durham, and I have been to, how do you say it, Haiti Center? Haiti. Haiti. Hey, hey, Ty Center. Yeah, I have been there before. And so thank, thank you for your information. I'm going to okay. sit back and enjoy the rest of your program. Thank you so much, my sister. How you doing today? How you been? Oh, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. I'm listening okay. uh, to you in, in from, from uh, Richmond or, or, uh, and, and from Wisconsin, and I've really been uh, learning a lot. So thank All you right. so much. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go to... Uh, uh, nine one nine five one nine. Nine one nine five one nine. Yes. Hello. 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 Yes, just enjoying the show. 
just since you're on the show. Can't hear you, Everybody Dr. Rogers. Yes, hello. Can't hear Dr. Rogers at all, Howard. I hear you, but we can't hear Dr. Rogers at all. Yeah, I know. I, I think he might he might have dropped off or something. Mm. Yeah, man, I, I told uh, I told, told quite a Durham, few Durham people that you were going to be on here, man. Well, yeah, Dr. Man, I, he was rolling, Dr. Bridges. Yeah. Much, much, of what, much of what I am today, um, I learned from the people in Durham. All the people. I know. That okay, we're back to. on. We're back on, brothers and sisters. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of knew this would happen. All of a sudden, there was uh, this uh, interesting infiltration of, of the system. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I understand that. You know, they're going to try that. Anyway, so anyway, I was looking at the, the 919 Durham number, uh, 683. Uh, would you like to... 5836? Uh, yes. Okay, this is Constant Williams. Dr. Yes. Coles, long time. Just now. I work, I work with Ben on the UOCI. Wow, just now. And I was a neighborhood yeah, organizer in Longtown. Say that again. You were you were the organizer where? In Walltown. Oh, in Walltown. Oh, Walltown. Walltown area. Yes. Yeah. Walltown area. Well, it's good to hear your voice. Good to hear your voice too. And one of the things that I learned, and I'm not going to speak anymore, was I'm still trying to get your people to vote. So I love you and take care. All right, you take care too. All right, thank I you for calling. I will, I will be listening to the program uh, from now on. I, Bruce told me about this station, so I said, "Well, I will be on the phone from now on." Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We right. really appreciate that. All right. Thank you. Four one four five eight one. Are you listening, or just uh, uh, you have questions, comment? Four one four five eight one. Okay, just listening. Um, I don't have a number, but the name is Brienne, uh, Durham, North Carolina. Brienne, would you like to make a comment, a question? Just the Brienne, Durham, North Carolina. Okay, just listening. Um, area code 919-599. Listening or comment? Okay, just listening. Appreciate all of you for listening. Yeah, five nine nine. They're not saying anything. But they won't say anything. That's somebody I told about the program. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're not sure they won't say anything right now. But anyway, I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much again, Dr. Bruce, for uh, sending folk here. Four one four five seven three. Questions, comments, just listening. Uh, just listening, Doc. Good evening okay. to you all. Thanks, Sister Marquita. Dr. Dr. Fuller, that's Sister Marquita Evans. <laughs> Dr. Book, have you ever been to that uh, art gallery that she managed for a while? I have not. In, in, okay. in, in Durham? Yeah, in no, Milwaukee? in, in uh, Milwaukee on, on King Drive. It was a gorgeous out. It was a gorgeous art gallery there that she uh, managed. King Drive Commons Gallery and Studio. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. 
Okay, folks, let's uh, go back and uh, see back. Uh, Dr. Puller, in the last uh, few half hours, oh, well, you know, one other person over there. Brother Quasi, questions or comments? No, Doc Rogers, Dr. Fuller. I just love hearing you guys talk. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Just listening. I'm sorry I overlooked you. Brother Quasi has his own program on Thursday evening at 6 o'clock called Warriors Way, continuing the fight. <clears throat> so that's all done. That's done on the blog talk system. Uh, so, okay, Dr. Fuller, um, one of the things that I first remember, uh, and I wanted to uh, uh, very clearly talk to you about, I've always wanted to talk to you about that, and that was you was uh, instrumental, I understand, uh, in starting Saturday schools or community school kind of thing, I don't, I'm not yeah. sure what you called it, uh, and that inspired me so much to the fact that we started one uh, over at the Milwaukee Theological Institute over on 4th and Meineke, and yeah. we called it Marcus Garvey Community and right. we had Sister Malika was working with us, and uh, I was the chair, the board of the chair, chair board of uh, the theological school. So I thought it was a good way to put that building to use for the community outside of just the education. Well, a couple of our clergy brothers didn't didn't agree with me, <laughs> so they they shut it down after it was open about two or three months. But we did get a, a good moving in about three months. We were able to hold classes, had teachers coming in, Brother Ron Pounds. Brother Oshiemi Adelabu came in, taught some classes on African history and, I mean, uh, stories of Kemet and so forth. Um, but can you tell me, is that, is that, now we're talking about the time and place. Is that relevant today, you think, to go back to that Saturday school idea um, and teach? And I like it because of its privacy. And you can privately do what you want to do right. uh, for the better of our children. Is that relevant now? In, in your, in your it, thinking? Any, any venue that we can create to help our people learn mm-hmm. is relevant. It don't make no difference what, what historical period is in and what the form of it is. So, for example, there, there's a brother in Philadelphia uh, that I really, you know, love. And, um, he, you know, he, 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 uh, he's been... Um, trying to get more uh, black men into teaching. Okay. And um, what what they're doing, his name is Sharif El-Mekki. And uh, this summer they're going to be uh, creating Freedom School. And and as you may know, there's a, there's a couple, uh, it started with Unity in Motion here in Milwaukee, <clears throat> where they have these... Um, it's like the Freedom Schools concept uh, during the summer for kids. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we can always do, no matter what's going on, is we can create educational opportunities for our people outside of any traditional framework. Mm-hmm. Because what you're talking about is the thing I used to do at the Commando Project. That's right. That's exactly on, it. On Saturday mornings. And, and I really started that in concert with the Black Student Union at MATC. Oh. And so, you know, the late sister Rose Massey. Oh, yeah. And Lorenzo Henderson and all of those folks. <clears throat> you know, we just decided, look, y'all need to know more about our history. I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a teach every Saturday. And, and, and whoever wants to come can come. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's how we did it, right? 
and 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 so as you know, we had students come from um, who were in college at UWM, University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. Someone from MATC. We had high school students. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, man, that that. <laughs> That, that pertains to this that I want people to understand. Okay. So as you know, one of the things I did when I was superintendent <clears throat> was I tried to uh, build buildings for <laughs> in the black community. Yes. It was a referendum. Mm-hmm. And you know, the referendum went down in flames, right? But during the process of trying to, to get the referendum passed, uh, I was all over the city of Milwaukee holding hearings and people coming out shouting at me and so forth. Well, we had a meeting at Hamilton High School, which, as you know, is on the south side of Milwaukee, and the auditorium was packed with white people. And a young black woman who also had been attending the this, this Saturday morning academy uh, or that I was doing at, at Commando mm-hmm. stood up with her baby in her arms, and she said, I'm here to support the referendum because one of the things in that referendum was to try to have more space for early childhood education. She said, and and I want to support Dr. Fuller. And these white people shouted at her, you shouldn't have had the damn baby in the first place. Mm. (laughs) So fast forward, I'm giving a speech at Morehouse a few years ago. And this young black woman came down the aisle after I spoke. She looked at me. I looked at her. And we almost at the same time said, you shouldn't have had the damn baby in the first place. Wow. It was her. And she said, I want you to meet someone. This is at Morehouse. We walk outside, and it was her son who was a freshman at Morehouse. That was the baby that she was holding in she her was arms. Holding. Man, that, and, that and is the baby that she used to bring to the Saturday morning academy. Hmm. That's not ancestors, and nothing is. Oh man, what is you know what I mean? And, and and so what that speaks to is just like I was at the ballot or the bullet speech that Malcolm gave in 1964. I was at Corey Methodist Church and heard Malcolm X give the ballot or the bullet speech. That speech changed my entire life, man. Mm -hmm. And the lesson I learned from that was whenever you speak to our people, you never know who you might impact. You never know what people are hearing. I've had people come up to me and say, man, I heard you speak at Elizabeth City, or I heard you speak at Fayetteville State, or I heard you speak at NCC. And it changed the direction of my life. You know what I mean? And so I take seriously every opportunity that I have to interact with our people at whatever level it is. Because you don't you don't know what the impact of your words or your work That's right. will be for our people. Mm, that is so true. That is powerful. I mean that's 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 a wonderful message to take with us here. Uh, and you're right. Um, you never know. You never ever know. Uh, I know when you were you had created those uh, uh, African immersion schools. They were created under your uh, superintendent administration, correct? No. What happened was uh, Bob Peterkin was the superintendent. Oh, he and, and, 
Okay. Yeah, and my wife, you know, who she became my wife, but was so the deputy was superintendent, right? Uh, Dr. Deborah McGriff. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And, and they, they, the African American immersion schools were created under their watch, but when I came in, it was the year after they had opened, and and they had not negotiated uh, an agreement with the union on teacher placement. Mm. And so what I wanted to do was I looked at the the um, the makeup of the teaching population, and most people don't realize this, but the integration suit that was settled in Milwaukee, they didn't just have uh, a, a quota for the number of black students you could have in any one school. Mm-hmm. They also had a quota for black teachers in individual schools. Hmm. And so there were, there were there were seven openings at um, Martin Luther King, and then it was Fulton, because as you know, Fulton Middle School became Malcolm X while I was superintendent is when we changed the name from Fulton to Malcolm X. Right. But in any event, so there were seven openings at the elementary school, which is Martin Luther King. It used to be Berger. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and at the middle school, which was then Fulton. <clears throat> and there were seven openings, and I wanted to put seven black teachers in those positions, and the union said I couldn't do it because it was a violation of their contract. And 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 I ultimately did it anyway, and they took me to court and they won because I violated the contract by, by putting seven black teachers in a in a African American immersion school. Right, and you know that's where I that's where I entered. Uh, in a direct manner with some of your work uh, because Josephine Mosley uh, hired me uh, to work with the teachers. There yeah, Josephine, yep. <laughs> at Dr. King's school. And right. uh, so I was there for about 11 years working with the teachers. And I know that they were using uh, some curriculums. Uh, they were using the set play curriculum that uh, the brother out of Chicago uh, created. And um, and that was an issue with the teachers. Our, our biggest issue was um, we wanted them to take courses and get credits. And right. so she had to work with Carroll College to get Carroll College to grant credits to the teachers. But the problem was the union said we couldn't force them to do it. Right. And say, oh, and that created some issues. But a lot of the teachers volunteered to do it. And they, right. didn't, they didn't fight it. They didn't yeah, fight it. Yeah, Josephine was a great principal, man. I mean, oh, oh man, we, we 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 had some phenomenal black people who were principals, you know, while I was superintendent. Right. Um, and I have none but. And I want to speak to this for a moment because I got nothing but respect, man, for teachers, man. Because <laughs> uh, what's happening today, man? Like in our schools, it's it's it's. It's unbelievable, brother. I mean, like at our school, um, you, you, you have ninth graders who were never seventh and eighth graders. You, mm. you got tenth graders who were never eighth and ninth graders because of the pandemic. Mm. And so, you, you, so you got people now coming into the building man, who they're ninth graders, but they're functioning <laughs> as if they were seventh and eighth graders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to say nothing about the trauma and all of the issues our children are facing. But our churches are facing some of that too, right? And we gotta, 
we got to understand and the impact of this thing on 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 our community. You, you know how it is, brother. Like at one point in time, our people were just low wage workers, but when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden they changed the name to essential workers, and but they didn't give them better pay, better benefits. But what they were doing was sending poor people out to do jobs that risk their lives so we could be at home on Zoom. And and, 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 and so, you know, I, mean, I, I just can't not recognize that reality, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the, the, the children, because we have a high school, a lot of our kids right now, man, they are essential workers for their families because so many people lost jobs that will never come back, mm-hmm. you know, during this pandemic. And so the struggles that our people are enduring, they're, they're immense, man. And, 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 and so what's happening is, as you know, brother, there's a lot of violence in our community. Oh, too much. But, 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 but I try to get people to understand there is no such thing as black-on-black crime. What there is is crime. Thank you. Thank you. And, 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 and that if you put people in inhumane conditions, they're going to respond based on those conditions. And what we have to understand is the crime that black people are committing is not because they're black. It's because of the, because we do have some people in our community who are criminals. I, I just got to say that. But then you got other people who are doing things because of the enormous pressure that exists in their lives, not because they're black, but right. because they're poor, because they don't have resources, because they don't they don't have the things that 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 you ought to have to live, and and so when you got children who are living in 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 in, in places that children shouldn't be living in, when you got kids coming to school who don't have food, who don't have clothing, mm-hmm. you, you, what what is it that we expect that people are going to do? when they're under those conditions. That's and what exactly. we have to do is to fight hard to not allow that to be defined as it's because you're black. Mm-hmm. You, you feeling what I'm saying, brother? It's, it's, yeah, that's it. It's going right back to that historical analysis that you talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man. Because, you know, like, in, in, in Black Reconstruction, uh, Du Bois talked about the Negro problem. And, 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 and as you know, there was a book written by Gurner Murdoch called American Dilemma. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and it, 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 they brought this man over from Sweden. Sweden. To do an analysis yep. Yep. Of, of the American condition. And he wrote this book out of all of these reports. And actually, E. e. Franklin Frazier also made a contribution to the interview, you know, as a part of that whole study. Mm-hmm. But... but but he, he he talked about the Negro problem, yes. and what he really said was that the Negro problem is really a problem of white people. Uh, and, and and so what Du Bois did was to, was to talk about the Negro problem, and he said that if you look at the history of black people in this country, and you look at what was the solution to the Negro problem, mm-hmm. that initially the solution was we got to make them Christian because that was going to be the way to bring us into the American society. And then they, they, they got rid of that pretty quickly. 
and, 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 and so the next stage was that they needed to enslave us as, 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 as a way to advance us. Because you know from being a historian that uh, the head of the political science department at Columbia University wrote a book where he talked about the fact that, that God made black people black because the black skin allowed us to work in the field. Yep, and, sure it did. And, it sure, it sure. Yeah, and, and so it was, it, it was, it was a, a category of people that were apologists for slavery. And, 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 and these apologists were in the highest levels of academ ac academics in this country mm -hmm. at major universities. And, and, sure. and, 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 and so... And Columbia was so, bad. I mean, they, I mean, even though they had Franz Boas over there and all that stuff, but it was terrible. Yeah, and, and so Du Bois said, so the second thing was to enslave us, right? Yeah. And then the third thing was once the decision was made to end slavery. The third option was to was to send us to send us back to Africa. People got to understand this is what Lincoln supported. Yes, Lincoln never believed that black people and white people could live together in this country. And then the fourth thing was the slave people said what needs to happen is we need to expand slavery throughout the United States. Yes, instead did. of just confining it to the South. So Du Bois laid this out in, 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 in Black Reconstruction as like this was the, the white people's solution to the Negro problem. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there was a group of us who met during the pandemic, and we put together a manifesto, uh, you know, laying out what we think should happen to, 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 to black children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I wrote the first draft and, you know, and people contributed to it and it is now out there. Well, one of the things that I put in there was that white people are still talking about the Negro problem. Yes, they are. And, 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 and if you look at the situation in Milwaukee, you know about this report that just came out that Levine put out where, where they looked at 50 uh, metropolitan areas in this country. And they developed about 40 different indices of well-being. And when you looked at these indices of well-being and you compiled the score, Milwaukee came in 50th of the 50 metropolitan areas in this country when it comes to uh, the condition of black people. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I had a conversation with Senator Taylor um, a couple of weeks back about that very same thing in Wisconsin. Let me just ask you your quick opinion. What makes Wisconsin uh, create that kind of energy? What do you think it is that's at work? Uh, well, what yeah, we, yeah, well, we got to remember that Wisconsin produced Joseph McCarthy and Gaylord Nelson. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> so, and, and Clinton, Hillary Clinton, lost Wisconsin by 20,000 votes, and Biden won Wisconsin by 20,000 votes. Right. So, so when, when, you, when you look at ideology and political philosophy, uh, Wisconsin is right down the middle. But to go more directly to your question, brother, I used to tell people, and it's not totally true as it was back then, I used to tell people 
that if you if you up north and you fishing and you see some black and you lost and you see some black people, don't ask them for direction because they fishing too. Because mm-hmm. because eight, at one point in time, eighty percent of all the black people in the state of Wisconsin were in the city limits of Milwaukee. Uh-huh. And, and when I was Secretary of Employment Relations for the state, and I was going all over the state, I never understood the state of Wisconsin until I had that job. And then mm. I started going up into cable, and I started going all over the state, and I saw the hatred for yes. Wisconsin, uh, for Milwaukee. They used to refer to Milwaukee as the black hole. And they were yep. talking about it literally and figuratively because there's resentment that, quote, all the money is going into Milwaukee, which ain't true. But there's resentment. And, and, and the theory was the money was going into the black hole. And, mm-hmm. and, and so it, 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 it's just like I, 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 I started, I, I had a conversation. I was on a panel Saturday. Um, and, and, I, and I made the comment that you have to understand that the children that are in our school, poor black children in the city of Milwaukee, Mm-hmm. That the political structure writ large in this country don't give a damn about these children. And and, and years ago, like Rayford Logan wrote a book called Who Needs the Negro? Right. And he, 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 he was making the point that because of the way that the economy is advancing, there's no need for, there's going to come a point where there's no need for black people. Mm-hmm. And what I would argue is that when you look at the, 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 the way the economy is now structured, and, and look, there was, a, there, there was a thing I studied called cultural lag, like where it says mm-hmm. technology changes, but the people's behavior and understanding lags behind the technology. Mm-hmm. But right. because of, the, because of the, the rapidity of technological advancement today, that problem is even greater. So when you look at, low-income and working-class black people in the city of Milwaukee, there's a significant percentage of people for whom there is no need. We, you know what I mean? We, we, we are of no value when it comes to the advancement of the economic and political structure of this country. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know that mean- may be... That may sound a little hard. No, this is right on that. Let me ask you this. Now, we got about six minutes left, and I just want to ask you. If you were to do uh, a community school type of uh, system again, what courses would you uh, put in place that uh, okay. be taught today? Yeah. So I think there are two things, brother, and, and, and they have to go hand in hand. The first okay. thing is the most critical thing we have to to do with our children. Well, let me say this way. Okay. If you're going to have a good school, when kids come to the school, they should believe that this is a place where they belong, that yes. they, have to, they have to have a sense of belonging. The second thing is that they have to have a sense of autonomy because a lot of schools where, where people can't develop relationships with our kids, they develop all these rules to control them. Mm-hmm. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that kids feel some sense of autonomy. They can make some decisions, you know, at an age-appropriate level mm-hmm. about what it is that's happening to them. And then the third thing has to do with confidence. You have to be able to read, write, 
think, analyze, and compute yes. at high level. But within that frame, our children need to see themselves in the learning process. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, I was on a, a show, and, you know, a, a, as you may know, like I teach at our school in February. Right. And so this year I was teaching the seniors uh the, the civil rights movement. So I used from the period from 1963, uh, I'm sorry, 1953, beginning with the Baton Rouge bus boycott up through the, 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 the Birmingham church bombing. Exactly. So, you know, up through roughly 68. And so a person was asking me, do, do, do we teach critical race theory? My answer was, no, we don't, we don't teach critical race theory. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a trap question. It is a trap, yeah. So, but yeah. what I said was, when, when I when I teach the civil rights movement, I begin with the Constitution of the United States of America. Excellent. Do you want me to use that document? Because that document defined us as three fifths of a human being. Excellent. When it was first created, and that was that had to do, as you know, for purposes of representation in Congress. Mm-hmm. Ford McKissick wrote a book called Three Fifths of a Man. And so, and, and then I go to the Bill of Rights. And then I go to the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. And then I go to the 19th Amendment. So I ask the person, is that critical race theory? <laughs> or or <laughs> it's the Constitution of the United States. Yeah. And it is true that it defines us as three-fifths of a human being. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And, 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 and then when you get the 13th, 14th, and 15th, and, you, you, you know, you start understanding when slavery was uh, ostensibly abolished, and, and, and then we were supposed to have due process, and then we were given the right to vote, and then on the 19th Amendment, they finally gave women the right to vote. But yet here we are in 2022 needing a voting rights bill. That's right. How does that work? You, you feel me? Because you still got people who are trying to pass and are passing bills that will deny us access to voting. To voting. And you got people who are passing bills that say you can't teach black children, you can't teach nobody about black people. Mm. That's a serious Mm -hmm. And this ain't the, this, this, and what we got to get people to understand, Doc, is this ain't the first time. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. You know, you talked about that book by Anderson. I, I remember reading that and some of the quotes that were in that book uh, that he uh, used about uh, the only good that the Negro was is, is to be the beast of the fields. Uh, right. So that they could do the menial work and white people can do the intellectual work. I remember that uh, being some of the essence of that, that document. But that's yeah, one of the I speeches you, that uh, I got condemned for in North Carolina. <laughs> Uh-huh. Was okay. I, 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 I was talking about how I was driving up to Bertie Halifax in Northampton County to speak to oh, Peapop, yeah. and I said on my way up here, all I saw was was black people down in holes digging, and white people stand up on the top looking. looking. So my thing was black people need to get some of these looking jobs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It, 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 yeah. But anyway, yeah. man, this is, we'll, this is, we'll never have enough time man, to talk. No, about you never would. You never have enough time to deal with this. And this is the, the kind of thing that we do uh, here at the Black Reality Think Tank. I try to look at these subjects and, and deal with them like that. Uh, and mm-hmm. definitely you have uh, added uh, dimensions 
uh, to our discussion and understanding of what we need to do for our people. And that's the bottom line. I really appreciate you coming. Uh, I, I would say I would I would love to have you again, but I know you're too busy <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and you're supposed, we're supposed to be retired, but that don't mean nothing. I just make room for more work. <laughs> yep. So anyway, thank you so much, Dr. Fuller. Give your wife out my regards. Uh, and I really appreciate you and uh, our listeners. I know do as well. Uh, this will be a podcast in a couple of days and make sure that you do get a copy. And I do want a copy of that film if it's possible. Uh, so what should I do? Send you a, my email? No, I could, I, I could, I, I could, I may be able to text it to you because it's, it's just a, a, a brief thing of the opening of Malcolm X. Oh, good. good. Okay. In, in fact, I'm going to try to send it to you right now. <laughs> okay, because I really do want to know more about the Malcolm X University because I, I had a yeah, lot of and this is, Yeah, this is a clip from the, uh, yeah. the Smithsonian. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, good night. Uh, thank you, my brothers and sisters, for being here. Well, thank you for your questions and, and all of the things that we did with Dr. Fuller. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a wonderful week and a safe week. Thank you. Thank you. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well. Grandma's hands used to issue out a warning. She said, Gregory, don't you run so fast. Might fall on a piece of glass. Might be snakes there in that grass. Grandma's hands. Grandma's hands soothe the lock hole on wet mother. Grandma's hands. Used to ache sometimes and swell Grandma's hands Used to lift her face and tell her she's safe Baby, Grandma, I understand That you really love that man Put yourself in Jesus' hands Grandma's hands Grandma. Grandma's hand used to hand me a piece of candy. Grandma's hand picked me up each time I fell. Grandma's hands, boy, they really came in handy. She said, Oh, Maddie, don't you whip that boy. What you want to spank you for? He ain't dropped no half before, but I don't want to have grandma anymore. If I get to heaven, I'll look for Grandma's hands. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I miss you, Grandma. I miss you so much.